Welcome to Identity Church Sunday Morning Message, where sonship is revealed. Stay tuned at the end of this message to receive more information about resources available through Identity Church. Now grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy a message from Identity Church that is already in progress. Today, we have a cactus that gives free hugs. That's what his shirt says. You could have picked a different shirt. Uh, me and my brother, we, we've been around the block a uh, couple times. I'm just glad to say he's my friend. Um, sometimes, sometimes we have to help somebody else out with their hurt and their stuff so we can get our hurt and our stuff out of our own way. And I really believe that in the last weeks of Papa Jack's life, that's what you accomplished. I don't think that's why you did it. I don't think you knew it at the time. But that's what was accomplished. So, I want to welcome my brother. I want to ask that um, you listen. I don't think, you don't have a PowerPoint, do you? Praise the Lord. All right, so no PowerPoint. So we're going to get Ron. Unfiltered Ron. Well, let's, let, let's be the judge of that afterwards. So welcome, Ron. Thank you. Good morning. I think I need another Bible or two, and then I can get started. I didn't bring a PowerPoint, but I, bought a, I brought a, a bunch of Bibles. Um, Jay, would you grab the uh, communion cups and just start passing that out for me, please? Well, good morning. Good morning. So one of my coworkers said this week, she said, uh, I heard you're going to be a guest speaker at Charlie's Church. <laughs> We're not taking up an offer. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, wait, I'm a guest speaker, though. So, I don't think so. I'll <laughs> you can throw money in the basket. That'll be great. I told uh, Susie before service, I found the perfect shirt for Charlie for the season that he's in. And uh, I don't know if it's going to fit him. I may have to order him another size, but I thought this was, this is for you, baby. All right. Is that for Charlie? It's a little small. That's for, that's for Charlie. I heard him talking about his hiney in this season, so I just, that's for you. He, he loses a little weight and his hiney's back and he's excited. And so is Susie. Praise God. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know what I'm doing today. Honestly, I don't. Um, it was good that you pointed that out. Brother Rodney, I don't have a PowerPoint because I hid behind PowerPoints um, my whole life. I wanted to be knowledgeable and intellectual and speak eloquently about the kingdom and about the Lord and impress you uh, with, with what God gave me. I just don't care anymore. It didn't work out so well. 
So it was funny, uh, Kathy Walton, she said, Ron, what are your scriptures week this week? And I said, she had no idea at home. I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> None whatsoever. And uh, I asked, I prayed this morning, this is my new prayer, that I am so completely empty of myself that the only thing that you see is the blazing glory of the man Christ Jesus. I want to be so empty, so poured out of myself that the only thing that remains is the beauty of the man Christ Jesus. That's all I care about. And it has been a season. I want to, I want to just pay tribute, not because I have to, but because I get to. I want to pay tribute that four years ago I walked through these doors, a broken, hurting, almost dead man, literally physically dead. And uh, I met my match in a man. And it seems that God wanted to turn our worlds upside down because if you've heard us tell the story, I didn't want to meet him and he didn't want to meet me. And then he took me to see Papa Jack and the unthinkable happened. And Papa Jack made me a son, and I don't know, I had the sense as we drove back from Melbourne to Sanford that he was not happy about the current situation that had just taken place. But see, God has a plan that sometimes supersedes our plans, and he had a plan. And I know Charlie was wrestling, I, he was verbalizing, you know, what to make of what God was doing. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Because I see, I was still broken. I'm wearing a shirt today because it is my life motto. I thought that I heard Susie say, embrace your cactus. That's what I'd rather it say instead of free hugs. Embrace your cactus. So this is a scripture that I got. If you want to put up uh, Galatians 2. This is a... I thought this is out of the message translation. Mine's going to be a little different when I read it, but you'll, you'll get the gist of it. Galatians 2.20 says, What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and, and enabled me to do it. I identified myself complete with, with Him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going back on that. It is cl not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily it's interesting i told charlie we can't plan these things today is pentecost it's pentecost sunday 
Now, on the Christian calendar, it may not show up that way, but on the Jewish one, it does. Tonight at sundown begins Pentecost. You know, and one of the things that I have been thinking about is that we want the power of Pentecost without the sacrifice of the embrace of the cross of Jesus Christ. We've wondered why we've lacked power and authority in this season, in the church, in this hour. While, like Rodney said this morning, churches are closing down all across this country. And the Lord has just been rending my heart with the simplicity of the gospel. We've got to go back to something simple. See, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, if I could just paint a picture for one moment, that Jesus had asked His disciples to pray because it was His time of destiny. It was His hour to complete His Father's uh, will for His life. And so He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and He asked His disciples, pray with me. I don't think we have a clear enough picture. I've been asking God to clarify this in my own personal life, to let me see it at a level that I've not seen it before. Because what I've learned is that I have a lot of intellect about God's love for me, but I need it down here where it matters, where it transforms me. See, for 40 years, I tried to be a people pleaser because I cared about the opinion of men. 40 years. I mean, God didn't care that I was nine years old. He didn't care what was going to come next because He he had a purpose in His heart for my life. And so 40 years, I tried with all my might, with all my being, to become the man that He wanted me to be. And you know what happened? It didn't work out. See, all my strength fell short all my trying, all my doing, all all my showmanship got me nowhere. I repeated the same cycles over and over and over again. All the while, filling up barrels of self-hatred about myself because I was convinced that I had disappointed the Lord God Almighty. And I would come up with some new idea of how I could please God. And I would come up with some some new formula or some new set of scriptures that somehow I could dance on the stage of performance and somehow elicit some emotion out of God that He would be pleased with me. But see, there in the garden, Jesus did something. As He prayed... I I, I want to back up. As as I imagine, he walked through the city those three years. I mean, growing up as a a Jew, he probably saw this as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, into, into his manhood. He saw over and over and over again men and people being crucified upon crosses as he walked into the city for their crimes, right? I mean, the Romans picked the absolute harshest way to, to, uh, to, to take one's life. In this country, we put people away. We don't see them. They're not on public display. But in Romans, the Romans' times, they put them on public display for everyone to see so that when you walked by, you said, I don't want to be like that person. I don't want to, whatever they did, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. 
because I don't want to end up there. I can imagine Jesus and the disciples walking through the streets of Jerusalem days, weeks, and in, in, in different times seeing that. And all the while, in the back of, God, in the back of God's mind, He's thinking to my, Himself, I'm going there. That's my destiny. That's the ultimate fulfillment of what my Father and I decided before the foundation of the earth. And He chose to show up in the most heinous, corrupt, political and religious system of that day. Innocent. This innocent man is on his knees weeping before the Lord and he asks, he asks his daddy, he says, Daddy, 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 will you be willing to take this cup from me? The Scriptures say that you know, he was in such agony. This agony of what was before him was so great that the blood vessels began to burst and he began to sweat pools of blood. We, we, we haven't even begun to glimpse or to peer into the cup of agony that our Savior was about to drink. And yet his next words were, not my will be done but yours. And he got up and he found his disciples sleeping. And, you know, <laughs> I can imagine, you know, here he knows what's about to happen. And his disciples have kind of a clue. Huh? How many of you have walked in this life and you've kind of got a clue about what things are going to be like, but then when it really happens, you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Jesus had a complete understanding as the Son of God what was about to transpire in his life. And no sooner had he, he, had he woke the disciples that Judas, the betrayer, walks up and betrays him with a kiss. You go back into the, uh, the Last Supper and, and uh, you know, he's talking about his death. And Peter's like, not on my watch. Peter makes a statement out of his flesh, right? And, and Jesus just looks at him and says, you know, before the, the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. And of course, Peter's, Peter's speaking out of this place. He, he's been performing on the stage of performance these last three years. He's seen the demonstrations. He's seen the miracles, but he's, he is sure of himself, of what he's going to be able to do in this moment. <laughs> but the Lord looks at him and said, but the, Satan's about to sift you like wheat. But I'm going to pray for you. Boy, I hope, I hope in this moment, in this hour, in this, in this season of your life, that you understand that at the right hand of the Father, the Son is set down and He's making intercession for you and I. See, one of the other uh, key life scriptures in my life has been the Song of Solomon. It's been a book that, uh, that, uh, that I embraced as part of my life message. And it starts with a kiss, not a kiss of betrayal, but it starts with a kiss in Song of Solomon chapter 1. It, but it ends also in Song of Solomon chapter 8 with the seal of love. It says it this way, 
I don't know if I gave you this one. I might have. Song Psalm in chapter 8, verse 5. Who is this one? She arises out of her desert, clinging to her beloved. See, the idea where I've been in my life over these last 40 years is that I've been operating in my own strength. I've been operating in my own power, in my own authority. And I haven't yet yielded. I'm still yielding. Still now. Still this very moment. I'm praying that God shows up. But who is this leaning on her beloved coming up out of the wilderness? See, there's an imagery there that God wants us to have all the days of our life. That it's not something that you can do in and of yourself. It's something that you have to lean into and get from the one who already did it all. So Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's spit upon. He's mocked. He's taken before the high priest. Right? This happened just 50 days ago, 2,000 years ago. 50 days before Pentecost was Passover. And the lamb would go before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate was trying to get out of it, and he sent him to Herod, and Herod's like, it's not my problem, send him back to Pontius Pilate. And he said, well, at least let me just scourge him, because I don't find any fault in this man. And so many of you have seen the Passion of the Christ. I mean, the scourging was not some little light, little spank on the bottom. It was flesh ripping down to the bone, blood splattering onto the ground. I can't imagine the agony of this cup that our Savior is drinking. And so Pontius Pilate, trying to find a way of escape, but not realizing that he's just an actor in the play of God's story, that God Himself is writing this masterpiece that we would look at for all of eternity. He's, he's just part of it. So he tries to find another way out, and he's going to just, he, he always released one prisoner. So he thinks he picks the worst of the worst that he's got down in the in the cells, right? This murderous man he brings up in this in contrast to this innocence, someone without any guilt, someone without any sin, he contrasts. And the people cry out for Barabbas. I think Pontius Pilate was dumbfounded. See, there was a spirit in operation, but it was but more important than that. Uh, God had foredestined before the foundation of the earth what was about to happen. He was directing the story, and of course, you know the the that he goes on and he and he's nailed to 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 a tree, which is the worst of the worst. He's hung between two criminals as a criminal himself. But the imagery I want you to see today is that on that cross, what you're not seeing behind the scenes, what you're not seeing with your physical eyes, I want you to imagine for a moment that God takes a cup of His, of His wrath 
for all the sins of the world. Past sins, right now sins, and future sins for every human being on the planet that has lived and will live. And He poured out this cup of wrath on His only begotten Son. Now you can imagine the devil and his demons latching because, you know, on to him with their talons and they're, they're, they're attacking because they think that, that the champion is done for. And, God, and, and Jesus is, is taking it and you get just a glimpse of the, the behind-the-scenes warfare when Jesus looks up and He pushes Himself up off the spike and He looks up and He says, Daddy! Daddy! Why have you forsaken me? And he, and he takes every drop of the wrath that I deserved, and you deserved, and every human being on this planet deserved. He took it for himself. And we get a glimpse, a little picture of how much God loves us. I understood that intellectually. But you know, when you're broken and your emotions are out of whack, you default to a certain, a certain pattern. And God decided that He was going to interrupt my life and moved me to Florida so that I could finally find freedom that I'd been searching for my whole life, that I'd been dancing for on this stage of performance my whole life. He said, I'm going to take you to a place, I'm going to help you find the freedom that you're looking for. See, I wanted to be free. I, wanted, I fell so madly and deeply in love with God. I found Him at nine years old. I, I got saved in a little Baptist church because this man preached the hellfire and brimstone message, and I found Jesus at nine. I didn't know the next day when I went home the devils were going to start flying out of the closet, and I was going to levitate above furniture. I had no idea what I had signed up for, but it happened to me. We're little Baptist people, and here I am, three feet off the couch, or three feet above my bed, levitating in the air. Nine years old. What nine-year-old has a grid for that level of demonic onslaught? But here I am. If that weren't enough, it was I had my alcoholic father that thought that the best kind of counseling was to beat you senseless with his fist or throw you from wall to wall. So I had the torment of demons and the torment of my own father. It was like walking on eggshells in my house. Cabinets flinging open, water turning on, things flying across the room. Nine years old. What have I signed up for? What have I gotten myself into? Two years later, I'd find myself with some guys and we played a game called Truth or Dare that would open up a, a, a whole new can of biscuits. Would open the door to homosexuality. Wow, you just can't get enough. Teenage years, I began to drink just like my father. Uh, every chance I got, I, 
wanted to numb the pain of what was my life. And so I, I knew he was there. I, I went to church. I, I showed up to youth meetings. I, I wanted to find him. It wasn't until my 21st birthday that I spent in alcohol rehab in the United States Navy because they thought I was worth keeping. Sitting in an AA meeting and listening to the fellow alcoholics about their lives. And I'll never forget this night. It's permanently burned and etched into my brain. That night, this woman got up and she said she'd been sober 20 years. She was getting her her 20-year coin. Everybody's excited. You can barely see her because back then you could smoke. We just traded habits. I was looking up there from back in the back of the room, and I knew there was a woman up there, I thought. And she'd been, she'd been sober 20 years. But the, the, the next sentence is what wrecked me. She said, but I'm still a prostitute. <sighs> See, I'd been miserable. <laughs> I'd live a life of misery already. And what this woman was telling me, this 21-year-old me, was that she was sober, but she was still in misery. I'll never forget the thought I had was I wanted to go down to 7-Eleven and buy her a (laughs) six-pack. But at the same moment, the the same realization, at that same moment, I was thinking to myself, I'm not gonna make it. I'm 21 years old. I can't live. I've already lived misery. I've lived a lifetime of misery already. I can't live 60 or 70 more years like this. I can't. I'm not going to make it. I love the program. I love what they did. I like the steps. I was the poster child for Alcoholics Anonymous. But I came to this realization I wasn't going to make it. And it was at that moment that I heard God's voice audibly. And He said, Son, I took away all your sickness and all your disease. Huh, what? That's really what, in my head I was like, huh, what? And He said it again. He said, I took away all your sickness and all your disease. And see, they, they taught you in rehab that alcoholism is a disease. So what God was saying to me was that He could take away my disease. So I found a church. Here comes Ron. Super honest. Super transparent. Super broken. (laughs) Super excited about, you know, finding Jesus again in the midst of this horrible situation. I show up. And I am, I feel sorry for the first pastor that met me. I do. Yeah, you got, you got, to, you got a few buffer years before I got here. <sighs> but I think I dumped and unloaded on this poor old man at this Rhema church. And I thought it was the right thing to do because the Bible told me, you know, confess your sins one to another. <laughs> he didn't know what he was in for. <laughs> he did not know what, yeah, it was tractor trailer loads. <laughs> 
And they just kept coming. And uh, let's just say that a year went by, because it was, and I was out with my Navy buddies who had sent me to rehab. And they, they were like, we're playing football. And they're like, Ron, why don't we have a beer after we get done here? I'm like, don't y'all remember? You sent me to, to the rehab place. I cannot drink <laughs> because I cannot stop drinking. <laughs> I don't understand the concept in rehab when they said, can you just have one? <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> Show me one person. <laughs> I hear they're out there. I've not met them yet. And they're like, Ron, you can have one drink. I'm like, you sent me to rehab. <laughs> I cannot have a drink. I was the guy that got off the boat and said, bring the squeegee and the Ziploc bag because you're going to need it to get me back. So, I, uh, I drank. And because I'd been going to church for a year, because I had read the Scripture that once you had been enlightened and then you fall away, you can't come back. Boy, I had misread that one. Because <laughs> that day, that, that moment, in my drunkenness, I decided, well, I'm going to bust hell wide open my way. That night I decided, <laughs> since I had totally disappointed God, totally messed up, totally been enlightened, <laughs> Yeah, I was enlightened, all right. So my friends started getting a little worried about me because I was now talking about leaving this planet my way. <laughs> and they're thinking to themselves, so the first place they take me was to the pastor of the church I'd been attending for a year. And uh, he comes over and he starts talking to me, and I just, I just might have said a few things that were not okay. I might have cussed him out. I know that's never happened here. <laughs> so needless to say this pastor tells my friends he's like I can't help him you need to take him to the hospital so that's where they took me and I thought for sure because I'd been in rehab this was it I was drunk I was out of my mind and I was about to get thrown out of the navy <clears throat> well I escaped the hospital <laughs> Got a taxi and slept it off. <laughs> told my, my friends the next day, I told you I can't drink. <laughs> Instead of running away, I found another church where I would meet my future bride. Walked into this 5,000 member church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and it was off the wall. They called it the Rock Church. Somebody had told me about it, and I said, Well, what do they do? Play rock music? This is way before. I mean, this is when. What was that group that came that came out? Don Moen and all those guys. Who was that? I mean, we were just we were just breaking out of the organ and the piano, and they were allowing you know drum sets in the church. You know what I'm saying? And not calling it the devil anymore, right? Do you remember those days? I mean, we were. Uh, so I was like, for sure, this is going to be one of these kind of weird places because it's called the Rock Church. What does that mean? Sure enough, I walk in the door, 5,000 people are jumping up and down, just going nuts. 
And I, I find a seat in the balcony, and this little Latino guy, he comes out, and he's kind of dancing. You know, he's like, he, he's strutting around. I was like, wow, I like this guy. He's got, he's, he's got you know, whatever. And, and then he, he gets up, and he tells his testimony. He's like, I've been in 11 prisons. I was a drug addict. I was this. I was that. I'm like, finally, my people. <laughs> I have found my people. I'm in the right group. This is the right room. This is my tribe. I had been in the wrong tribe before. Hallelujah. You know, so I've been going there a few months, and, uh, you know, I was carrying around all this stuff. I had all this stuff. I kind of, you thought I would have learned my lesson at the first church not to dump everything at one time. But I was like an open spigot, and just if you were in the way, you were getting you were going to get sprayed on. <laughs> and so uh, a few months in, I'm like, after service, I you know walk up to Mister, you know, and I'm like, hey, Pastor, I was wondering maybe this week if I could come by your office and just talk to you. I just need to. Get some things off my chest. <laughs> Need to tell you my story. It's what we do. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's, you know, 500 churches, this 5,000 member church, he's got 500 churches worldwide. He looks at me and he says, you know, he said, uh, call my office. Let me see. He said, I think I'm going to be doing this, this, and this. He said, I'll see if I can get you worked in, but I don't think it's going to work out this week. I'm like, all right. So I remember the long walk to the door because it's a big building. And as I'm walking, I'm like, I'm talking to the Lord. I'm like, this place is too big. I, I want to be intimate. And this place is just, it's too big. You know, and I got in my truck, you know, thousands of people are leaving. I get in my truck and I'm sitting there and I just begin to weep. And I'm like, God, I know you know my story. But I just want to tell somebody. And so, sure enough, I'm there in the best possible condition. I have snot everywhere. There's tears. I think I'd been wiping, you know, anywhere I could wipe snot, I was wiping snot because I was, I was just such a broken human being. And all of a sudden, somebody knocks on my window. There's these two large men standing there. And I'm like, you know, this is before electric. I'm just... <laughs> You know, oh. I'm rolling down my window, trying to clean the snot up and look presentable to these guys. And they're like, are you Ron Culver? I'm like, wow. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. Pastor wants to see you. I'm like, okay. So I walked back in the, in the building, and there he stood. And I walked over to him and he said, Ron, he said, uh, in my 35 years of ministry, I've never had the Holy Spirit grab a hold of me like he did today. He said, I will meet with you. See, he kisses us even when we're being stupid. <laughs> so he kissed me that day. I was overjoyed. But me and my big mouth, I can't keep my mouth shut. I'm... I haven't learned 
wisdom yet. So I show up in his office and I dump everything in, in the kitchen sink on this poor man about my life. See, in rehab, one of the stories I haven't told here before, in rehab, I had a counselor. And uh, I remember the first group setting session we had the first day I was there. If you've ever been in a group, you're in a circle, nice little circle. It's like 12 or 15 of us. And I'm sitting there, don't know anybody yet, right? This woman who's a lieutenant commander in her uniform comes into the room as I'm sitting there, and she has a Play-Doh house with Play-Doh people. And I'm thinking to myself, why does the lieutenant commander have a Play-Doh house with Play-Doh people? That's the thought that flashed through my head, but it was going to get really weird. <laughs> she threw down the Play-Doh house, and she threw herself on top of the Play-Doh house and began to wail and scream and roll all over the Play-Doh people. In my mind, I was like, get me the hell out of here. I am in the wrong place with the wrong people. And the counselor, who I didn't know was the counselor, jumps down on the floor and starts yelling at her. I'm like, I need to get out of here, but I'm stuck. <laughs> So afterwards, the, the, the counselor, he's going around the room, and I, I apologize, I'm just going to be real honest with you. He comes around the room, and he's asking people, so how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? And he got to me, and he said, now, Ron, how did that make you feel? If I did that to you, what would you do? I said, I'd kick your ass. <laughs> Try that with me, buddy. I ain't gonna fly. That dog ain't gonna hunt. So, here's where I realized I had a crisis. Six weeks of rehab in house. Third week, they finally let us go. So, we had the chunks, the overweight people, right? You're looking good, baby. And they had the drunks. And they intermingled us together. You couldn't pass the PT test or you couldn't stay sober. You got to be in the same rehab together. Well, me and a fellow drunk decided on our weekend off that we should go to Bush Gardens. I failed to mention that I don't ride roller coasters and neither did the guy that I was going with. I'm like, what are we doing at Bush Gardens? Well, I didn't know. There's a brewery tour, and at the end of it, they give you red Solo cups of any flavor of beer that Budweiser makes. And we, just, we had so many of those flavors multiple times that they finally asked us to leave. Probably 12 or 13 of them. Maybe more. And I realized at that moment that I might have a problem with alcohol. And I was so, I, I thought for sure, see, I wasn't taking the medicine that would make you throw up and vomit and feel like you're having a heart attack. I just refused. I should have been. 
but I realized that I do have a problem. And I'll, I'll never forget, I'm in the restroom and I just break down crying because I know why I'm drinking. I know from all the pain and suffering in my childhood, I know why I'm escaping into this bottle. I know. I know for the, 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 the disappointment of living homosexual lifestyle for 10 years, I know why I'm doing this. And so here I am, you know, shoulders rolling in the bathroom, and here comes the commanding officer of the entire rehab program, you know, captain or colonel, for those of you that are in the military. He walks in the door, and he's like, Culver, what's wrong with you? I'm like, and through my babble, he goes and gets my counselor. First human being that I ever shared my entire testimony with, all of it. After rehab, he becomes my counselor, becomes my uh, sponsor. He became a sponsor for a lot of us. And so he invited me over to dinner one night. And lo and behold, the very first person that I tell my entire story to is actually a homosexual. He begins to hit on me the night I'm at his house. Devastated. Broken violated so so i go and talk to pastor john jimenez and i get put in a group of other people they don't know what to do with <laughs> i'm down here with people we don't know exactly how to deal with these people we're just going to put them in a group together and see what happens. <laughs> and he says, I want you to meet with this other pastor every day or once, once a week. He did that for seven years. Called him every day. I didn't talk to him every day. I met with him at least once a week. And the problem was is I wasn't getting better. See, I was still struggling. As an early, in this point in my life at 21 years old, I start asking Sorry I'm moving around so much, Kevin. I start asking the Lord to take away these desires and these feelings. And I can just hear God laughing right now. And he said, no. Talk about mad. <laughs> he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, what do you mean you're not going to do that? He said, I'm going to make you an overcomer through Jesus Christ. I did not know what that meant. All I know is that I was struggling and he wasn't going to fix it the way I thought he should fix it. So I got mad. And every time I was in the, in the heat of a struggle or in the heat of a battle, I'd go back to him and I'm like, why don't you just take this away from me? He said, because I'm going to make you an overcomer through Jesus Christ. If I could throw this pulpit through a wall, I would have. I was so mad. Because that didn't seem to be enough. I just wanted to be normal. <laughs> normal. <clears throat> normal. And see, God didn't care if I wanted to be normal. <laughs> he just he, it, it didn't matter to him. What mattered everything to me 
you know, when you see the whispers going on behind your back with the leadership in the church, and they're whispering because they don't know what the heck to do with you. And then they're coming, you know, different people are coming to you now, now Ron, you know you're going to need a good wife. <laughs> you need a woman. Hey, hey. Oh, sorry. You're going to need a woman. <laughs> you're going to need somebody. You know, they're throwing out all these hints like, you need to get better. You need to get better. <laughs> I didn't hit him, though. I've touched that thing more in the last couple of days than most probably anybody. <laughs> but he didn't seem to care. He didn't seem to care. Whew. After seven years of that, I got a call. Ron, would you come meet with me in the office, senior pastor? Absolutely. I've been serving. Listen, they, they were building a new sanctuary, and I was working in the old sanctuary, and they were rewiring the uh, sound booth, which is huge. And, and uh, I'm like kind of an electrician, but not really <laughs> still today. And uh, there were wires hanging out of the ceiling, just two wires hanging there. And the, the, the administrator for the church, he's like, Ron, what are those two wires for? I'm like, I don't know. Let me go grab a ladder. He's like, are they hot? I just touched them together, blew up in my face. You'd think I would have had testers, but I didn't. I just tested it myself, blew up, was blinded. I said, oh my gosh, I'm blind. The guy below me, the administrator, he's like, that's no, no big deal. He said, all my hair is gone. <laughs> so... I was Mr. Volunteer. I was Mr. Everything. I was on the God Squad. I was on the prayer team. I was serving. I was in the green room. I was bringing waters. I was serving on the on the uh, you know the team that does audio. I did all the things that I could do and to perform and to dance and to and to and and to get people to like me, to get people to accept me. I was doing all these things. I was in volunteering for anything that needed to be volunteered for and here we are at the end of seven years of that and he calls me into his office and he said we can't help you anymore actually we want you to leave our church and never come back here again and see you don't understand now I, I had not practiced any sin I wanted to practice a lot of sin but I wasn't practicing sin but I surely didn't sometimes stop pursuing it because see, for a moment, you know, sin gives us a moment, a moment of pleasure. A cope, it was a coping mechanism with all the brokenness that was on the inside of my. It brought a, just a sense of relief to even flirt around it. It brought some sense of comfort to to flirt around the sin that had so in, ensnared me as a young man. And then they looked at me and said, "You got to go." And see, I'd been nothing but brutally honest with these people. No, I'm still having the same thoughts. I still have the same feelings. Still, blah, 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 seven years. It's not better, not better, not better, not better, not better, not better. Still think. God showed up. He did things, miraculous things, things I can't even explain things. He did all these things. And there I was, churchless. My, Stephanie and I were dating. They called her in next and said, he'll never 
ever be a good husband or a good father. He'll never be what you need him to be. You should not marry him. Thank God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit rose up on the inside of her and she spoke back to leadership and said, I don't agree with you. This is the man that God has given me. He's shown me that I'm to be with him and to be together and we're to be joined as one. And I'll never forget, I went home and I think I wept for two entire straight weeks in my room. I just I wept and I wept and I wept over the brokenness of losing what I thought was my family. And so I finally got up the nerve, the courage to go to uh, another church and I would visit, but I was, you know, didn't want to engage, didn't want to, didn't want to even introduce myself. I went to the same church, one church, down, and, uh, two times. And after I'd been there two times, the pastor said, can I see you in my office? I thought, oh good, he wants to meet me. He wants to, he wants to get to know who I am. I'm excited. So we go into his office and he said, I know who you are. I said, you do? He said, yeah, the pastor down the street called me and told me about you. He said, and I don't want you in my church. He said, you're like a stick of dynamite and I don't want you to blow up in here. Yep. Yep. Is this honest enough, Pastor Charlie? Well, I left out of that building. Completely and utter de- utterly devastated. But probably if I had a gun, I would have put a bullet in my head. And I, I realized the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, it's time for you to move back to Georgia. And I'm like, Georgia? <laughs> that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's where all the trouble started. Why would we go back to Georgia? Anywhere but Georgia. Let's go anywhere. Nope, I want you to go to Georgia. 1997, I want you to go to Georgia. I'm like, this is dumb. Lord confirmed it multiple times with multiple people. I had the people in, at the at the church that they kicked me out of. People were coming to me like, "You're moving to Georgia? That's not God's will. That's not what you're going to die in Georgia." Well, thank you. I don't go to your church anymore, but thank you for the encouraging words. Thank you. So, I end up in Georgia, and I told God, I got to Georgia. I said, God, I'll never darken the door of another church the rest of my life. I love you, but I'm never going back there. I said, I'll worship you in my living room, and that's all you're getting. <laughs> my parents my parents called me. They said, hey, Ron, we want you to meet this prophet. you got to understand, I've been a part of a 5,000-member church. They were all the who's who of charismania that walked through the doors. I'd been in the green room when they told the prophets what they were going to prophesy and over whom. So prophets did not impress me. Oh, thank God, because I don't know what I did to it. You blurred up. Is it fixed? Fixed. Yeah. I'll try not to unfix it again. So, so uh, they said, we want you to meet this prophet already, like Charlie. I'm not interested in meeting no prophet. And they looked at me and they said, you know, he, he meets in his living room at his house. And I hear God laughing again. He's the ultimate joker. <laughs> 
He said, you said you'd worship me in your living room. I said, my living room, not somebody else's living room. My living room, my terms, my, my, my. Whew. So I showed up in this little house church. 45, 50 people are there. I'm in the back. I've got a hat on. I've got that thing pulled down. I am not going to interact with anyone. Because I've been here. <laughs> I got the wounds to prove it. Sure enough, this man calls me up by name and says, would you come sit on my coffee table in front of all the people? You don't want to know the thoughts I was having at that moment. It won't be a church anymore if I say it. Most people, most people do. And so I go sit on the, I go sit on the table, and I got my head down. I won't even look this guy in the eyeball. And he says, his first thing, and I, this is another one of those moments where it's etched in your brain. It's never, it's never going to go away. His first word he ever gives me. He said, "I see you with a machete." He said, "And you've been hacking away at this jungle." Hacking away, hacking away. He said, you finally get frustrated. You throw down your machete and you just give up. And he said, that's when I see God walk up beside you. Take your hand and the two of you begin to walk together and the jungle just falls before you. Can I be honest with you for a second? That just started four years ago when I moved here to Florida. It was a word then, but I, I'm, I'm telling you the, the reality, the truth of it, the, the realness of where I am today is from that word is now. Because see, finally Ron surrendered. If you haven't gotten what my message is about today, it's about surrender. And I had to come to a place of surrender. I've told you a lot of intimate details about my life, but I realized that I had to get to this place of surrender. I just got there. I just recently got there. And it was only because of a small act of obedience to do what God said. I think He tricked me. But I was just, I'm just so afraid of being out of His will that I would just do anything. You know, and I moved my entire family here to Florida. And I thought we were going to die here, literally the first year and a half that we were here. And then my, my good friend here hires my wife. Not me, I'm not good enough. Right? So hires my wife. He soon finds out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> not going to go there. They, they have, but it, it, was, it, was, it was the Lord. It was the Lord that, that he, she went to work for him. So here I am, and this guy just, and I'm like a blubbery mess. You've, been, you've had these kind of words, right? I'm just, I'm, I've melted into a pool of, you know, just yuck. And just overcome with the goodness of who God is. And then he says my favorite words from pastors. Can you come early next week and, and we meet with you? <laughs> why, why would I even show up, Charlie? Why would I even go? <laughs> why wouldn't I just say, no thanks? <laughs> 
was so hungry and so desperate to, to be uh, approved and validated and loved. I was willing to get kicked. That's not God's plan. So I show up. This man dates, times, places, people, things, everything. Just lays it out. Stuff I'd never told a soul on the planet. Needless to say, there were not enough Kleenex on the planet to stop the torrent of tears and snot that came forth that day. And out of the corner of my blearied eyes, I see his wife coming in with this huge basin and a towel. And I'm sitting on the couch and the two of them get down on their knees in front of me and they're like taking my shoes off and I'm thinking, oh my God, I hope I clip my feet toenails. God, I hope they're not three inches like they normally are. I'm like the Wolverine down there, for goodness sakes. I hope they don't smell. And they look up at me, and I'm, I mean, I barely can see them. And they look at me, and they say, we want to we stand in the place of the church and ask for your forgiveness for what she's done to you. Well, that was it. And we want you to be our youth pastor. <laughs> what is going on? It's the twilight zone. See, I couldn't be trusted to run the parking lot ministry when I first came to church, much less be in charge of the youth group. This ex-homosexual around all the children? What are we doing? Come on! I'm telling you the truth. It's in our heads. Let's not skip around and pretend it's not there. And so here was somebody that was showing the love of Jesus in an unconditional way that I had not experienced before. I'm going to just fast forward. He does. I'm devastated. His wife leaves him for a lesbian witch. Not long, a couple of years later, he dies. Bob Jones actually called him and said, Hey, yeah, 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 there's coven of witches. Come to destroy your marriage. I've been praying for you. Blah, blah, blah. You know how he was. I mean, he was the foolish thing confounding us wise. Bob Jones. But their marriage is devastated. He, he ends up physically ill because he won't take care of himself. And at 58 years old, he goes on and home to be with the Lord. Now, he was my first, what I call my first spiritual father. I go, he's been in a coma. I go to his, his, uh, his room at the hospital, and he comes out of a coma while I'm there, and a couple of uh, other of us. And it's him. He had had a stroke. He had lost mobility. He had lost memory. He had lost blah, blah, blah. He came out of that coma, and it was him. And we had a conversation. And we talked, and we prayed. We laughed. And we left, and he went back into a coma. I had prophets from around the world call me, Ron, how's Jeff doing? We've been praying for Jeff today. I said, I can only tell you the one thing that the Lord told me is that God is dealing with him in a coma. And Jeff has some decisions to make. And if he doesn't make the right decisions, God told me he's going to take him home. And it broke my heart because I thought, 
I'll never find another person like him that will love me the way that he loved me. And so his death devastated me. Thank you, sir. So, instead of filling in all those details of going on, I'll just tell you this. I, I, I repeated the same cycles over and over again in my life. I'd go back to drinking. I'd go back to lust. I, I, I just kept going back to the coping mechanisms that enabled me to be a walking, wounded Christian. I, I enabled myself to just walk, just to get up and walk, just to be able to cope with life. I flirted with sin. Trying to cope. And God brought me to Florida. And He put me in front of a man named... Charlie Coker. I surely thought after that meeting, I'm like, there's no way in heck we're ever going to be friends. He reminded me so much of my, some, some people in my life, I'm like, hmm, just don't know if I can do that again. Had too many, too many familiar things that caused me pain. And so I wanted to, wanted to run again. But I also felt this ultimatum hanging over my head in the air. About a month ago, I, I told Charlie of a vision that I had about the cross. I'm sorry if I lose it here. But I saw the cross just, it was just like dirt and rocks, and I just saw the cross begin to agitate the dirt and the rocks. It's like it was digging up the things that are hidden on the inside of us. And it wasn't just going to stand any longer that you could you could you could just not that you could ignore that anymore. That the cross was and the power of the cross was just beginning to agitate and irritate and to bring up from the dredges of your life those things that we don't want God to see or think that He can't see. And it just began to bubble up and agitate. See, these last four years, I've been meeting with this little 81-year-old woman and her stupid two-by-fours, and she's been beating my stubborn mule head into submission that I had to embrace my cactus and let it poke the hell out of me. And see, God was bringing up situations, and you know, 
my wife's fixing to go to Pennsylvania. The last time Charlie and I were in Pennsylvania, there was going to be a knockdown, drag out fight. Susie was there. She was pretty convinced that if if Charlie could have, we were going to. There was going to be a death in Pennsylvania, and it was probably mine. <laughs> but see, God had to visit His dumb, stubborn self three times that He was going to be my friend. <laughs> And I was going to test it. (laughs) Well, God knew I was going to test it. This little old lady started beating me head, neck, and shoulders about embracing my cactus and letting it poke the hell out of you. You know, and then I'm starting my little journey of this, right? Just getting started. And me and Gary have a, a falling out right here on this side of the stage. There might have been some filth and flooring that was said, I won't repeat, Rodney, I won't say the word. But some brand new person was walking in the door as I was finishing my sentence. And Charlie called me and said, I don't even want to hear your side of the story. Stay home. Well, see, for somebody like me, I I, I needed to be right. I needed to vindicate and validate myself. I needed, I needed to prove to him that I was worthy and I had value. This little old woman said, I want you to sit your butt at home and not say a word. You mean not be in control of my own destiny? Not to be in control of where I'm going? Not to be the captain of the ship any longer? What are you talking about? I've got to tell him my side of the story. He needs to hear it. No, you're going to shut your mouth. It's like the Lord arrested my tongue and He tied it and shut my mouth. And I sat home while I'm sure at His home, He's contemplating, do I kick Him out? Do I kick Him out? Do I kick Him out? I want to kick Him out. I want... My wife's thinking to herself, do I stay married? Do I stay married? Do I stay married? Meanwhile, we were building an elder team around this very issue, which is my message today. So, I know it's late. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to begin to wrap this up. But I felt it was important to get honest and real about this thing that God is doing in my life. The cross is coming after us. The cross is coming after you. It's come after me. It's come after Charlie. Look. Look at him. I've got pictures 60 some odd pounds ago of him. God's come after him and said, look, if you don't do this, you're going to be dead in five years. If you don't think that's for the body at large when he starts using prophetic people to demonstrate what he wants to do in the earth and in the body of Christ, you've got another thing coming. I want to finish, I want to, I want to finish it this way. I think the biggest problem that we have in the church right now can be found in Revelation chapter 3. Verse 15. It's a letter Jesus wrote. We talk about Paul's letters. We talk about Peter's letter. We talk about Matthew. We talk about John, Luke. But Jesus is writing a letter to the churches 
in this one, the Laodicean church, he says, I know all that you do, and I know that you are neither frozen in apathy nor fervent with passion. How I wish you were either one or the other, but because you're neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, I'm about to spit you from my mouth. For you claim I'm rich and getting richer. I don't need a thing. Yet you are clueless that you are miserable, poor, blind, barren, and naked. So I counsel you to purchase gold perfected by fire so that you can be truly rich. Purchase a white garment to cover you and clothe your shameful Adam nakedness. Purchase eye salve to be placed over your eyes so that you can truly see. All those I dearly love I unmask and train. So repent and be eager to pursue what is right. This is my, the next part is my favorite part. See, we see that as such a slap to the Laodicean church. I believe that's the church in the Western world. It's the Laodicean church. I believe that we have no power and no authority because we've been Laodicean. But see, Jesus is making you a promise in the very next Scripture. He's making you this promise that He's literally standing on the other side of the door. He's standing there knocking. And he's just like in the Song of Solomon. He comes to the door in the Song of Solomon and he knocks on the door. And she decides, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to get ready and I've got to put my clothes back on and I've got to get da 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 And she goes to the door and he's not there. And her heart is grieved on the inside of her because she misses her opportunity because she thinks she knows what she's supposed to do. And for too long as, a, as, as, as the church and as an individual, I've thought that I know what God wants us to do. Instead of emptying myself, pouring out myself, embracing the cross like Jesus did. This is what the cactus represents. In the, in the passion of the Christ when He falls and, and, the, and the cross is on the ground and the man comes up and helps Him and He if you remember the scene, he embraces the cross and there's a look in his eyes like, this is my destiny. This is the greatest fulfillment that I can ever do. This is the, this is the masterpiece of heaven. To embrace this ugly, hideous tree so that once and for all, he can redeem all mankind. So there's this moment, you and I have an opportunity to embrace those things around us, that person. Listen, if we think we're going to love the, the, the sinners, we can't even love each other in this building. We can't, we can't move or have our being without being offended with one another about every other week. And it's because we refuse to embrace our own cross. We refuse to embrace the cactus of our life and go, you know what, I don't have to be right anymore. I don't have to tell my story because it's not my story. It's His story and He's the author. Just like He painted this beautiful tapestry, this beautiful masterpiece of His Son in the most heinous horrible, horrific death. He paints this beautiful masterpiece for all the world to see. It's not your story. It's not your story anymore. You gave up your rights when you said, I do. 
And so God is looking for a church in this hour that wants to break out of this Laodicean, not really hot, not really cold. I'm just kind of here. I'm going through the motions. And He wants a bride without spot or wrinkle, moving in power and authority so that we can reach and save and set free the lost. But part of your problem with sister so-and-so or brother whoever is that what you're looking at is a mirror. You're actually looking in a mirror. See, all this stuff I had that I thought Charlie was, what I didn't realize in the beginning that I was just looking at a mirror of myself. And God was wanting me to look at that mirror and look inside of myself because here's what I've realized. This is the, this is the pinnacle of my message today is that I could not love other people until I first loved myself. That I'd been trying for 40 years to love other people with this perverted, gross, nasty, ugly love because that's how I viewed myself. And see, God wants me to embrace my cactus. You know what my prayer is now? Terry? I get up in the morning, I make mistakes, I'm stupid, I make idiotic things. Just ask my wife. I do dumb things still. You know what I do now? What I'm able to do now? I'm able to look at the Father and go, this is all you got, baby. This is it. This is it. All of this is yours. All of it. I used to only want to give you the good parts, but you get all of it now. You get all of this. And if you can do anything with this, I give you permission. But I surrender. I surrender. Because I tried. I tried to do it. And I was incapable of, I was unable to do it. I could not do it in my own strength. But when I finally surrendered and said, this is it. This is my ashes. I've got ashes to offer. Well, what does He do with ashes? He makes them beautiful. There's some of you that need to embrace your cactus to look God in the mirror, in the mirror look at yourself and go, this is, this is all I've got. The reason you're repeating the same cycles over and over and over and over again is that you haven't come to the conclusion that you can't do it yourself. You've all got your communion cups except me. I guess I didn't get, I'm not going to get one. I don't get one. No communion cup for me. I messed with it again, Charlie. I'm sorry. Moved it. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I, I, I think our, our prayer as a church needs to be, let me see the beauty of the cross, not in an intellectual way. I don't want to see the, the, the beauty of the cross and what Jesus did and, and, the, and the literally pouring out of Himself in such a complete manner. He poured Himself out so completely. Heaven gave the best that it had to offer for you and I. And I don't think we've even begun to glimpse or even get an idea of the beauty 
of what the cross represents. We want to move right past the cross, right past the agony, right past the pain, right past the shame. As, as Charlie has talked about here, the shame of the cross. We want to move by, by it so quickly and get to the resurrected power of it. But I think God wants us to stare deep into the mystery of what this cross represents and how it affects our lives in such a radical way. I'm wearing a cactus shirt to represent that I want to embrace that which is my life and let God come into the places that I've been so afraid for Him to see, even though He can see them, I've been so afraid to let Him into that place and really love that area of my life. And until I let him begin to do that, I'd never loved myself. I can stand here today, a transformed man, and I love myself. Do I still screw up? Ask Charlie. I see him about seven days a week. Y'all said, oh, Ron left the church. I see this man every day. <laughs> I, I love that people have even created rumors about our relationship across the United States. They've created rumors about us. And where we're, how we're doing. <laughs> I thought it was cute. But that's what we do. We do that. And we want the lost. We want to demonstrate power to the lost. And we can't love our brother sitting next to us. One thing I learned that was different about Papa Jack than my first spiritual father is that when he died, I wasn't devastated. Papa Jack's words to me in Pennsylvania were, you've never been a part of a family like this one. I realized today that it wasn't just the words that were true, it was the action, it was the, it was the kingdom, it was the, it was the father-son paradigm that I had really, un, really unknowing to me that I had gotten a hold of. That in this process of all things working together for our good, God was working something on the inside of me that whether Papa Jack was here or not, it was going to go on. I remember one of the first questions I had for you when I became Papa Jack's son, and we were at the first son's gathering that I'd been to, I'm like, is this thing going to be even sustainable without Papa Jack? Because I still hadn't got healed yet, but... I'm telling you, I'm a transformed man. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives inside of me. That's a reality that the church can walk in day in and day out just by being simply honest. This is all I got, baby. And if you can use this, you can do whatever you want. I want you to remember this morning, or now it's this afternoon, <laughs> This is not just a rote thing that we go through. This is a moment. I, I, I encourage you to do this on your own at home, but take communion. Get before the Lord. Stare into the depths of the mystery of this brutality that our Savior went through so that He could have you. You want to understand love beyond an intellectual level. Begin to look deep into the mystery of the cross. So Father, I thank You for this representation of Your broken body. Jesus broke it and He gave it to His disciples. And He said, take and eat. What a strange thing to say right before 
He dies. I want you to take and eat and remember what this represents. The stripes upon His back. There are people in this room that need healing. We're gonna. I'm gonna. Stephanie, come on up. I'm gonna have uh, in just a moment. You come up. The elders come up, and I want the prayer team to come up, and I want to pray for those that are sick in your body, that are broken in different places. Yeah, there are things that, like Charlie, like Susie said it so perfectly this morning. There are things that God wants you to begin to deal with in your life. He wants to heal some of those places. But we're going to ask God to heal some things for you today. There's others that that want to rededicate and re, uh, reignite the passion of their burning love for the Lord uh, this morning. We're going to pray for that. This blood. Hmm. This is His blood. Another mystery of the power that's residing in, the, in every drop of blood that He presented it before His Father. Every, every bit of the blood that was shed at the, at the whipping post and uh, on Calvary, every bit of that was gathered up and presented to His Father. As, as the living sacrifice that He became. So we can use the big theologian word that He could become the appropriation of our sin, that He could take on for Himself what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's what this became. I'm not able to do it. That's what 40 years of serving the Lord taught me is I can't. Only He can and as you, as you take of this cup, I want you to look down on the depths of your soul and just surrender. See, there was something on the inside of me for 40 years that said, keep fighting, baby. Keep hanging on. If it's just by a thread or a fingernail, just keep hanging on. I'm telling you, let go. And surrender to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Take and drink. I asked Stephanie to play a song that means something to me. I hope she's going to play it or it's going to be weird. I want to invite you to come down. Jesus is standing. He's standing there. He's been standing there. He hasn't stopped standing there. There's still hope. If there's breath in your lungs, there's still hope. He's knocking on the door of your heart and He's asking you to let Him in. Like me, you could have been so gripped with embarrassment and shame. This morning somebody prayed about guilt. You could have been so deeply wounded by your own transgressions and the transgressions of others, but there He stands at the door of your heart knocking. And all you have to do is open it and look him in the eyes. This is the best I've got. Come on.
you know, you talk about being, you know, offended with each other in here and stuff. I, I want to ask your forgiveness, and I wanted to do it publicly because it, part of because God said to do it. <laughs> um, I had with one of our meetings, elders' meetings. I had a. I'm question. I'm not sure about this, Ron. So I just I want to ask for your forgiveness because we can not only speak it publicly when we're offended by people, but we can think it. And God says, if you're going to think it, what's in, you know, it travels down to your heart and you, all these, you know, questions. But I just want to ask your forgiveness and I want to thank you. I, I consider the, you guys family and, and I'm sorry I did that. And I want to thank you for being real because one of the things that I love about when we were Pastor Mark and Phyllis in this building that spoke to me was realness like them putting their self out there. We're not these perfect people. We're, we struggle just like, you know, just because we're pastors. So, and it was in this building, but it's one God. God is in this building in such a mighty way. And he has been for years. And I just, I consider your brother. And I, I just love for your being vulnerable and sharing your story because I mean, you're going to set many people free. Like, oh, wow, if God did that for him, he can do it for me. And so I just want to thank you thank and you. tell you I love you. I love you, too. And I forgive you. Thank you. You're awesome. You're <laughs> awesome. You make me laugh. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine. Mm. If we just, as a church, could begin to carry that same heart. When we look at other people, we can just see the negative things in their life. It's just a mirror. It's a mirror into your soul. It's okay that it's there. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be embarrassed. You just got to go and hug the cactus. You got to go embrace the cross and let it poke the hell out of you. And you just got to keep on hugging until there's nothing left but Him. You got to get yourself so poured out completely that when you see the trouble in people's lives, there's actual love and compassion and empathy like Jesus had for the lost. He said, I came for the sick. We got to get healed up in here. The sick in this house and the houses across this globe have to get healed up so that we can actually go help the sick. You really want authority? You want a third great awakening? This is the beginning. This is the steps. You want revival? It's not going to come through a political or religious system. God made a point of that last year, did He not? He wasn't going to allow anything else to be your Savior but Him. That may offend some of you. But I've heard, it, I've heard it said way too much that it got stolen. What happened last year? Listen, God raises kings and He sets kings down. And let me tell you something. God is after something. The fierceness of this cross is coming after you. Come on down. Those of you that want to get prayer, I want you to come down. Whether it's sickness or, he, or, or physical healing that you need in your body, 
if it's just recommitment of pouring your life out and getting transparent with the Father, I want you to come down. I want the elders to come down. I want the prayer team to come down. I want you to come down. It's time to just do business. I want you to lay your life down. It's worth giving. It's worth giving. Your life is worth giving. I've not yet I've not yet sweated blood over the agony of what God's called me to do. I'm not giving you a temptation either, Lord. Don't don't test me. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to see with unveiled eyes the beauty of the man Christ Jesus. Help help us to lay hold of the depths of the power of the cross and what it represents. There's never going to be resurrection power without the death of the cross in our lives. There's never going to be true authority without first the piercing of the cross in our lives. Take up your cross and follow Him. Thank you, Father. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to IdentityChurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages, read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.